got the need, the need to podcast. This is episode 13, Days of Thunder from 1990. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, once again joining us on this very special Cruise Club show, it is Greg McLennan. Hello, Greg. How's it going? Am I still special if I've been on it before? Oh, you for sure. You are even more special because you're now a returning guest. Oh, well then. Do I get a prize? Mm, um, send you stickers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Dope. <laughs> the prize is you get to watch this Top Gun on the Ground movie. Oh, don't ever say that. I've heard it referred to as that. I don't entirely agree. I don't agree. So it's so much more. Oh, yeah. So this movie came out in 1990. This was the first Cruise Kidman team-up. I don't know if you read this, Mike. He saw Nicole Kidman in Dead Calm, which Wistful Thinking covered on this network, mm-hmm. and loved her in that role oh. so much, that movie so much, that he's like, I want her in this movie. And then I guess that sort of led to marriage. So oh, I guess yeah. <laughs> sometimes things work. Scientology grooming her <laughs> and saying that it's okay to marry him. You know, he really, he rented BMX Bandits and was like, she's got to be in my next movie. I was happy that she had the Australian accent in this movie. I was yes. glad she was rocking that. Yeah, but great it makes her seem distinguished since she had to be a like neurosurgeon. I just watched the new Pet Cemetery, and I was saying, like, why can't the actor keep his accent? Just make this character from another country. Like, this works perfectly fine here. Greg, this is the first... You've seen this movie before. This is one that I think we talked about in the last episode. You have programmed this into Cruise Control, your Alamo Drafthouse movie marathon. This is the first time I saw this. Mike, had you seen this movie before or no? No, I had never seen this movie before. Oof. I don't know how. No idea that Talladega Nights had a prequel? Well, that's exactly also what I was John thinking. C. Like, John C. Riley's here. I'm thinking Ricky Bobby the whole time. I mean, it's a parody of this movie, and then they make a joke in the movie that John C. Riley was a pit guy that then becomes a driver. Which is, you know, and, he's a pit he's a pit guy who wants to be a driver in this movie. And I feel like they explained the shake and bake in this as well, the whole move with the <laughs> Rubin's racing, man. Rubin is racing. Rubin is racing indeed. Apparently the the other big thing that I saw in the trivia is that Quentin Tarantino says this is his favorite blockbuster car movie. We know that he's a big car movie guy because of death proof and mm-hmm. all the things that that sort of homage. So this is a movie that is beloved by us little guys down here and all the way up to director of some of the biggest movies of our lifetime. I, I, I think the caveat there is it's like his favorite racing movie. It's not his favorite car movie. Car right. movies would yes. be like, fuck you, French Connection. Uh, Ronan, you're not very good. Like, uh, this is like, he likes this better than Le Mans. He compared this to Grand Prix and Le Mans. There you go. And this is the movie he said that those should be. So yes, yeah, not favorite car movie, but favorite racing movie. I'm not super into NASCAR. I will just <laughs> say that. But I think... When this movie is working, especially that final scene, that final race, it's just like, pardon the pun, because it's on the ground, but it soars. The movie the movie opens on like a shot of like a Confederate flag, and you're like, oh, I think I know everything yeah. I need to know about NASCAR. And you go like, you know what, I actually kind of give a shit about NASCAR by the end of this movie. Well, you know what I thought was kind of clever is it, it just uses NASCAR kind of as a backdrop, and it's... It feels more like a hero's journey kind of story, like more of like an action movie to me, and like following those types of beats. I don't, I don't mean to step on your toes too much there, uh, Joey, but I know because I, I know you do research and you got your notes there. But uh, no, there was a the original review by uh, Roger Ebert, I think, was where he talked about uh, at this point, like Tom Cruise has developed a mold of himself where he goes into movies yep. and they all kind of have these interchangeable pieces, uh, but it's always just like. You've got to have a woman that's better than you. You've got to be like a wild person that needs to tame your inner spirit in order to yep. master the skill yeah. that you have. Like you have to have an old mentor. You have to have a bad guy that then becomes your friend. Uh, yeah. and there's like all, all, all these touchstones that have been in like Color of Money uh, and Top Gun and uh, so many movies to where Cruz was finding his rhythm into that thing. And it was just interesting that at the time, whenever it came out, that Roger Ebert had his head on his shoulders, right? And he was just like, oh, I figured you out, Tom Cruise. <laughs> well, it's interesting <laughs> how I never considered like that Joseph Campbell stuff could translate to things that weren't big swashbuckling action blockbuster kind of movies that I'm used to, like IE Star Wars and stuff like that. But it works. Like I think in A Color of Money, Paul Newman's definitely Obi-Wan. Yeah. And I feel like Robert Duvall is Obi-Wan and Nicole Kidman's Princess Leia or something. And it's Crabby working. It's fuck Obi-Wan that eats significantly more ice cream. <laughs> but, agreed. but I love like the way he pokes and prods at Cruz once he gets kind of like used to him or feels him out. I don't know. I, just, I like their relationship a lot. In this no, movie. he just doesn't respect him for a really long time. Because he's from California. <laughs> now, Greg, if you had to pick a favorite moment, what's your favorite part in Days of Thunder? Oh, man, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, I feel like I really like a lot of the stuff in the opening whenever he's just kind of sucking shit all the time. Like, oh, that's a great montage, yeah. Like, like I mean, like there's a great, there's a great montage there. Like, I really love the one where, like, 
they're eating ice cream and then he swings around the track to come in the pit and then like a guy rubs him and he's just like oh this is gonna hurt and then just crashes the car <laughs> backwards and then just like to the testament of tom cruise's charm he just looks over in this smashed car that's facing the wrong way he goes did you see that guy uh like he was in a, a you know a routine uh traffic bump the end scene with the freeze frame i feel like Come on. <laughs> I love it. But as far as like something that I'll routinely show somebody that I want them to have a giggle about, Tom Cruise would frequently act on boxes with Nicole Kidman because she was so significantly taller than him and he wanted to be like this masculine man. And so you don't think of Tom Cruise as small, but there's that scene where they're in like the apartment or condo or whatever. She swings him around to kiss him on the wall and it's like, she picks him up because he's a little teddy bear. <laughs> yeah. He even asked her in this movie, he says one time, how tall are you? I was like, why are you asking that? Like, I don't understand. I still don't understand what the context of that line Probably is. Probably because he wanted her to answer so people would assume that he was like close to six feet tall. <laughs> I did notice that there share a lot of scenes in the hospital where he's bedridden or in the wheelchair and then there are post-coital scenes when, you know, they're laying down and things like that. So they do try to hide yeah, it. Yeah, I do wish Tony Scott just did like a Quentin Tarantino pan over their feet and you just saw like like Nicole Kidman's like toes down to her foot, up to her shin, and then you started to see Tom Cruise's foot. <laughs> now, Greg, when you when you screen this movie for the cruise control marathons, does it play as well as movies that like? Well, I guess two questions here: Have most people that you think that you've shown this to have they seen it? And then does it play as well as movies like Top Gun that people? for the most part, have already seen and love. So I deliberately did not show Top Gun because I knew that everybody was going to be expecting Top Gun. But yeah, like other any other movies that you know that like everybody has seen? This, is, this was the closer in Cruise Control whenever we did it. And I got a 70 millimeter print and I had them turn it up really loud. So like you were getting to watch mm. a 70 millimeter upscale print and they used the 70 millimeter because at the time, the like five mag tracks that are built into 70 millimeter is the like look and sound of perfect. And it's so gloriously loud. Uh, to where, like, the seats were rumbling. And so, like, I feel like the enthusiasm was, like, half the people in that room really loved Days of Thunder, and then the other half hadn't seen it, or they remembered not liking it. But at the end of it, there was, you know, 250 people walking out of that theater with a gigantic smile on their face because they had had the best time. Uh, so I, still, I think this movie sings in a theater. I think it works tremendously with a crowd because there are so many kind of, like, for lack of a better uh, way of relating it, like, rocky fights where you get to see, like, Cole overcome adversity or do crazy cool mm -hmm. shit. Yeah. I was getting a big Rocky vibe in the center of this movie too. And not just because the montages kept coming and coming or either. Yeah. I would love to watch this with an audience because I, I wasn't quite sure if it was, you know, I'd not seen it before, so I wasn't sure how it was going to play and I'm not a huge NASCAR fan or anything, but this isn't, this doesn't feel dated at all really, except for maybe the hair and some of the wardrobe, which isn't bad. It's just very 90s. I was, I thought it played remarkably well. It, it, I enjoyed it way more than I was expecting to. Right there, there. With, like a, with your head hanging, you're like, oh, got to watch Days of Thunder. No, not quite. Not quite. It's just like I had heard that it was, you know, supposed to be like really good one. And, you know, Cruz has been on a great streak. So I was a little nervous. And um, again, like I'm just not really into NASCAR. And that just did not matter. Like all the racing scenes just felt like cockpit fighting scenes or something like that to me in this movie like i just think you know tony scott did a great job with this and sort of translating it for people unfamiliar with the culture and all that it just sank right into me and uh i just enjoyed the ride basically i mean i mean i will say this about tony scott i don't think he has a whole lot of misses but also if you think about it he had days of thunder he followed it up with the last boy scout followed that up with True Romance, and then did Crimson Tide. Of all of those movies, I think the only one that was truly a financial success and critical success was Crimson Tide. But, like, history has been very kind to Tony Scott's filmography, where that dude was on a run. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Now, Mike, you said that this movie worked well for you. Do you have a What was your favorite part of this movie? Oh. Was it something that Greg already said, or is it something different? Well, so, first I was going to say, when Robert Duvall's talking to the frame of the car, and he's, you know, starting to <laughs> think it out and put it together and everything, and then there's just, like, this really awkward, but cool it works like this smash cut to the car complete like at the track and everything i was like oh i think this might be an early contender but then uh i was like i thought back and i was like wait a minute tom cruise's entrance in this movie is epic it's so iconic like he comes in on the motorcycle he's got the big hair wafting in the wind he's he's in like a like a trench coat i think or something not, not a trench but it's like a dress it's like a long dress coat it's it's very weird and strange and i just thought it was uh very enigmatic and just i don't know i was like this is a this is great cruise here we're getting like 
I, I don't know. I just loved his uh, entrance into this movie. What about you, Joey? You're you a fan? Like you had you you watched this movie for the very first time just I before did. the podcast. I think I especially like the the banter, the interactions between Robert Duvall and Tom Cruise. I think the first like the the the, the one quote that I wrote down very early on is where Tom Cruise says, "I'm dropping the hammer." Uh-oh. And then Duval says, I, no, you're not. And I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck. I, I say that to everybody like, yes. in my life all the time now. <laughs> like, I drive a stick shift and people are riding. They're like, oh, you got a stick? And I'm like, I'm dropping the hammer, Harry. And, and then I, you know, accelerate to 35 miles an hour in order to be safe yeah. all times. Because it's this unconventional kind of movie thing where you can't, like, they're not really on screen together. They're in the same scene, but they're not together. But they're still talking to one another. And, like, it's this cool dynamic that they're probably mm-hmm. shooting everything separately you know, Cruz is probably just in like a green screen somewhere or just some kind of car on a stage somewhere, but they're still making it feel real and authentic. And I just love that. Um, oh, I think that was probably my favorite, just the interaction between the two of them. Legit driving in these movies. Like, I know this is one of the few movies where he was not allowed to perform all of the stunts right. for liability reasons because he's on an actual racetrack in an actual race car. But I think like he's driving just at, you know, a significantly reduced speed while they're filming all that stuff with a car kit. You know who else is really good in this that I was not expecting to be in this? Carrie uh, Elways. Well, no, he's all right. But Michael Rooker as the rival turned friend turned guy who gets uh, sick in the end and everything. Uh, like I was... Uh, I was so happy to see him. I was like, oh, I love Rooker. And this is very early Rooker. Well, pretty early Rooker. And uh, he's got hair. Let's just say that. I love their dynamic. That's the thing. I think everyone really played well off each other. There's really great chemistry going on between, like, the crew, the guys. I just, I don't know. I really feel like it came through. Well, I mean, it's not fair because if you were to, like, look at this movie in the context of, you know, the year that it came out, it has one of the most insane character actors who's who kind of going through it, much like we had with Color Money, where you're like, why is Iggy Pop there? It's like, you're just looking, you're like, why does John C. Riley have such a small role? Holy shit, that's Randy Quaid. Uh, and it's just like all these guys were like, oh, yeah, start starting off or were well established. But it's just crazy that like the level of talent that's in a car racing movie. And Randy Quaid, like it reminded me how good he used to be and stuff. And now how far off the reservation, I guess he is. But, <laughs> but it was like, wow, he used to be so good. Yeah, man. Two actors from one of my favorite TV shows in the last like decade or two, Justified, had their film, I think, debut that we got Margot Martindale, very small part, and Nick Searcy, I think, very small part, too. Oh. But then, she was in Lonesome Dove as well. Well, then what What did I read? Some some trivia lied to me, but this is a very early film role for her, I guess. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. It's, it's probably like a billable role versus like where she got like, you know, a form of billing. I don't know if either of you got this vibe. Maybe I'm just because I'm just so excited for the new Tarantino movie, but I feel like Michael Rooker in this movie kind of looks like the guy who's playing Charles Manson, the Damon Harriman, also from Justified. Also unjustified. Yeah. Well, he reminds me, he looks like he looks in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer in this movie, so I was getting a serial killer vibe off him. (laughs) (laughs) What's funny is uh, they tried to cast Kurt Russell in that role. Can you imagine if Robert Duvall, Kurt Russell, and Tom Cruise were all in uh, one movie? Oh my god. It would be a dream come true. Right? Greg, what about this movie don't you like? Do you have a least favorite part, something in here that doesn't really quite rubbing as racing you the wrong way? Uh, I mean, the Confederate flag doesn't necessarily hold up for me uh, uh, contextually, but no, like, this is one of those movies that, like, I grew up loving, and then whenever I was, like, deep in uh, my Cruise research of rewatching everything, even if, like, there was a movie that I'm like, you know what? Yeah, like I've always loved this Tom Cruise movie. And then I would go back to rewatch it to be like, but does that work in my mind now that I'm in the context of showing it to 250 people that might want to set me on fire afterwards? Uh, whenever I rewatched this movie, I was like, no, this movie's every bit as good as, <laughs> as I thought. I mean, I, I love this movie. It's like, it's a little kid dream movie. And then whenever like you're an adult cinephile, like it's just a who's who of a bunch of really good actors just chewing off a big chunk of the scenery and having a really good time with each other. It's really good. I mean, like, as much as I love Tom Cruise, like, I love Tony Scott, too, so it's just, like, a dream movie. Do you like this movie more than Top Gun, or is it or is it hard to compare them? Oh, I definitely believe I like this movie more than Top Gun. Wow, okay. Mike, what about you? Do you like this more than... I, I know this is sort of a different... Because I'm guessing, Greg, you grew up with both, and I know it's sort of maybe different, but, Mike, how does this sort of compare your first viewing to Top Gun? Do you like this? Could it ever surpass it, I guess? Or has already surpassed it? It's really close. I was surprised, you know. I was sort of, you know, I had heard the comparisons, but I didn't, I was kind of amazed about how different the two movies actually are from each other. And I don't know. I think uh, I'm definitely going to be watching this one again, for sure. So it could 
surpassed Top Gun, possibly. I mean, it would have. It's one of those movies where it's like, man, I, I wish I had seen this when I was younger because it would have been right in like my wheelhouse, especially during the '90s, during that era and everything. It's just like so much fun. Is there something about this that you didn't like? Is there a least favorite part you have in this movie? It's crazy. No. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say he is looking so much like Val Kilmer. He's like he looks like Iceman. I oh, one hundred percent. I mean, I think that's I think that's where the pair, like the the lineup of Top Gun on wheels yeah, yeah, came yeah. from. Like he is the Iceman. Like Duval is the Tom Skerritt. Like the, all the pieces are there. Nicole Kidman is uh, what's her face? Kelly McGillis. Mike, do you have a uh, least favorite part? <laughs> it's crazy. Like I'm really love this movie. You know, it, you don't know, say it, wheelchair race. Do not no, say no, no. <laughs> that's one of the best parts. Like I love that they take the racing out of, uh, you know, off the track and into the hospital and everything. No, uh, really, I'm with Greg. Like, the only thing I can come up with is, you know, the politics there, like the Confederate flags and that kind of thing. But, you know, I understand even the 90s, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but a lot has changed since and everything. But, like, you know, even that just feels like a minor thing. It's not like, I don't feel the propaganda that this is a NASCAR commercial in the way that I felt that at times Top Gun is like, a Navy commercial, you know, and, and that is sort of full-on propaganda at points and things. This this just has that great 90s blockbuster vibe that lots of movies sort of tried to pull off, and some of them very successfully, some of them not quite as well, and still enjoyable and stuff, but, like, this just hit a sweet spot. And Joey, also, maybe it's because, you know, last week on Hanks, whatever the hell, every time we say goodbye, that movie was, like, that was a low right there. So this is, like, a really great bounce back from a pretty bad Hanks movie that we just recovered. So I have very little to say uh, bad about this one tonight. Sure. We'll we'll decontextualize the quote and say that Days of Thunder uh, is the greatest palate cleanser of all time. (laughs) That's a great call, you know? Yeah, like, I feel like this is going to go into heavy rotation, to be honest. Like One of those movies that, like, if it was, like, 1992 and, like, it popped on HBO, like, every four days, you'd be like... Well, it's funny. Like, today, I kind of uh, woke up in a bad mood and I put on Tokyo Drift and it turned me around. Like, it pulled me out of that bad mood immediately. And now I'm like, you know, Days of Thunder is kind of in that spot as well. Like, I feel like it's one of those feel-good, fun movies for me now when when did you watch days of thunder in relation to tokyo drift out of curiosity oh uh so i watched tokyo drift this morning i mean it's like the ninth time i've seen tokyo drift you got to understand <laughs> like uh i watched days of thunder about three days ago okay it's just it'd be interesting to be like go oh, watch uh, days of thunder last night woke up still had that itch for speed so I watched <laughs> tokyo drift. uh joey what, what do you hate about this movie go on i really i uh, don't know that i hate anything scene. i think I think that someone, you know, less sophisticated could point at this that this is like a formula that we've seen before, but I'm not going to make that because I think it does its own thing with the story, with the beats, with the characters, with the archetypes. The only thing, like, if I have to point at something just because this is 2019 and, like, I feel like the gender politics are not necessarily great in this all the time. Yeah, but, but I mean, like, that's one of those things. Like, you Nicole, can't go back. It's a 30-year-old like, movie, yeah. Nicole Kidman is a doctor, but you're right, the, the stripper. He's a doctor who the first time, yeah, he grabs, I mean, I know it's set up, but, like, he grabs her hand right. and puts it on his junk because he had, the first woman that we see is a stripper. Like, even though there's a, there's another pretty lady who I don't even know if she talks, but there's not great stuff there. I know this is sort of like a dude's movie for dudes. It's also 30 years old. And so there's that stuff sort of working against it. But at the same time, when you're trying to watch things and sort of see, hey, is this, you know, sort of equal and whatever, uh, it's, it's not great in that regard. But I do like that they give Nicole Kidman a prominent, powerful, successful job. And I also do like, you know, after she gives him the physical and he sneaks the kiss and it looks like she's pissed, I like that scene that, you know, that Greg had mentioned before when she throws him against the wall. She kind of takes charge there. And I don't know if that's empowering. I don't know if that's... But I feel like that's a reversal that you don't really often see. And I think that's kind of a cool something going on there. I mean, it's kind of Top Gunny too, though, where, like, Kelly McGillis is clearly significantly, like, smarter and better than Tom Cruise. And she's like, oh, you're going to come after me? I'm not interested. And then she's like, no, I will have you now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was starting to almost get a bit of, like, a stalkery vibe off of Cole in this movie for a minute. And I was like, please don't go too far. Please don't go too far. (laughs) Having her sort of turn it around and take charge of it helped me sort of, uh, you know, with that whole... Yeah, with their terrible meat cute. Uh, I mean, Rubin is racing, guys. And <laughs> Rubin is racing. Greg, I think we sort of hinted at it when we were talking about the last Hanks movie we saw. But just like we said when we talked to you on The Color of Money, the early Hanks movies are killing us. Like, almost everyone is – it's a struggle to get Oof. through. 
there's some good stuff here and there, but we have not turned the corner yet. We're a couple movies away from, I think, really pivoting. It's but... shocking come to realize like how he's actually going to revive this career. Like this thing, it's tanking worse than I could ever imagine. I, I think there's two different lenses that you guys are looking through, so it's probably interesting to see kind of the parallel of it. Tom Cruise, traditionally handsome, incredibly young phenom who kind of like blew up through the system versus, you know, Tom Hanks, who starts out as kind of like a goofy, weird stand-up who then like segues into acting and is kind of doing all of the acting that he can do in order to be a professional actor before you kind of get to that break and that starring vehicle where it's curtailed to his specific talents. Whereas yeah. Tom Cruise started to get movies that were for him pretty quickly. Yeah. I think we've been bringing that up recently, Joey, right? Is the quality sort of of the films and going back and forth week by week might be increasing and decreasing the value of certain films, right? Like because sure. we're following up Hank's movies with these awesome cruise movies and then going back to Hanks and then like maybe they're not as bad as they would be if we were just doing a Tom Hanks podcast uh, but I think that we're going since we're going back and forth and comparing and contrasting it's it's right. become a little harder so Greg knowing where Tom Hanks is in his career at this point this is right before Dragnet Dragnet's the movie we're doing next week so it's a little bit before you know Joe versus the Volcano it's a couple of movies before he really starts that like ascendance into the biggest name in Hollywood or one of the biggest names in Hollywood do you think the game that we play, if Tom Hanks were cast as Cold Trickle in this movie, would this movie work? Would it be terrible? Is there a different role in this movie that you think he could play better instead of the Cold Trickle part? Man, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, like, I could picture Tom Hanks as Cold Trickle. It'd be a way different uh, movie, though, like, where Tom Cruise would be like, I can do it, Harry. You'd get, like, a Tom Hanks, like, bobbing his head but shaking his head sideways and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> To where, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dislike it, but you know, it's definitely not the best. But wait, so you guys are every time we say goodbye, Hank Steep, and you guys didn't like love Money Pit, Volunteers, Bachelor Party, or Man with One Red Shoe or Splash? Well, uh, no, Money we, we liked the the comedies were were okay, and then he sort of started doing these dramatic pieces that, um, you know, he did that one. What was the one with his the father issues? Nothing in common. Nothing in common. Yeah, with Jackie Gleason, that was a rough one, and then this one, and so he is yet to sort of bounce back into the... And yeah, to be fair, like, I didn't love a lot of the early comedy ones. Like, I like The Money Pit, I've seen The Money Pit before, but, you know, Volunteers was okay, I liked parts of Volunteers, I didn't really like Bachelor Party, and I think it's kind of, you know, like Mike was saying, it's a difficult thing to sort of have that sandwich between, say, two amazing Tom Cruise movies, and then you're sort of brought down to, like, what would otherwise be, like, kind of like a, a maybe a, a moderate high in early Tom Hanks' career, but instead it's just like a low relative speaking. So it's a weird sort of dynamic thing that we're doing here, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that Tom Cruise's movies are significantly more timeless uh, as far as their like longevity. But I do think that there's, you know, I think Splash has still got a lot of delightful things. Bachelor Party's got a lot of problematic things, as does the Money Pit. But I mean, you guys are also going to find some of that with Dragnet. But I think once you hit like big areas, whenever like... Yeah. He really like ascends almost like it was we're, supposed to we're be right splash. at that turning point. Yeah, uh, there's going to be a point whenever Tom Cru or Hanksy is uh, flying high, and you're going to see there's some some cruise ebb. The the reason we're doing these two is because after we did you know after we followed up Cage with Keanu and Charlize, we both struggled through so much of both of their filmographies. So we said let's do two actors that we know for the most part are all home runs, and we know the Tom Hanks stuff is coming. We know that Cruise sort of can't sustain this like almost perfect run of movies like forever even though it's pretty great for a long time it's so crazy <laughs> even his uh what are deemed to be like tom cruise not good movies i think there is a case to be made for all of those films there are, like what is your least favorite tom cruise film so far is losing it losing it that, 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 <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that's perfectly fine but like but like who's seen losing it you know what i mean i like, don't want you to get i've seen losing it well i'm just saying of course <laughs> you've seen losing it i mean you program a theater at the draft house but like i just had joey and i because we're obsessive about the filmographies but yeah, it's rough. Like, even Legend is great. Like, I love that upon rewatch and stuff. I'm really trying hard to think of what I don't like in his stuff. It's interesting to see a movie like Legend, which is so purely aesthetic, uh, with next to no story other than the most simplistic of, like, good versus evil type of framework. 
and realize that that's a Ridley Scott movie, but then go and watch a movie like The Hunger, which is also pretty much just a beautifully aesthetic, simplest, like simplified story from his brother, and then see like kind of how their like visual styles are similar, but really diverged as filmmakers. Yeah. I'm looking at Tom Cruise's movies, like like the stuff that's recent, I guess if you were asking, you know, least least favorite of stuff that we haven't gotten to yet, I'm really interested to see if knowing the full backstory and watching them all sort of in quick succession is going to make me enjoy, like, War of the Worlds or The Mummy more than I did, or if I'm still not going to sort of love those, or, like, Night and Day and stuff like that, you know, like, things that yeah, are... So I'm a, I'm a big Night and Day defender. I I thought War of the Worlds was, was fine when it came out, and then it's really grown into testimation with me. The only thing that I think that are, like, the mega clunkers are, like, Rock of Ages, but, like, Cruise is fucking amazing in that movie, and The Mummy is legit trash. (laughs) (laughs) The only story, and I'll tell this again, this is a sneak preview for our Mummy episode, but the most noteworthy thing when I was watching The Mummy is that there was a woman in the row ahead of me who who was filming the entire movie on her smartphone. (laughs) Security came in and took her and her children out of the theater. Like, someone had told... And so they had, you know, kicked her out for piracy, I guess. I don't know. Cool. But like the, they had security and like a police officer come in. Like that was more noteworthy than whatever was going on on the screen. <laughs> you but should have started filming that and seen what happened. Oh, boy. Uh, he would have gotten booted out next. Could Tom Hanks have played the Michael Rooker part? Would that be a better role than Cole Trickle? I don't know. Like I'm trying to think of Tom Hanks of that era, like that young, if he can pull off playing a proper dick. It's weird, or maybe like the John C. Riley part. Like he would be great in that part, but it's such a little part. Tanks is kind of in his serious phase. He's gone through, you know, he's going through a little streak here. And I think that if he were to do to play Cold Trickle here, it wouldn't. It would be more of like a serious drama. It would play. I don't think it would be as fun. I think he could do it, but it would be. I don't actually think it would be funnier. Where he is now, he would try and play it more straight, and it might fall flat. There's something about the energy here that I think Tom. Cruise is central to like there's some vibe he's giving off that seems to be infecting everybody and getting everyone into like this playful mood or something or maybe it's Tony Scott I don't know I I just think like where especially where Hanks is you know chronologically now I don't know that it would that he could pull it off to this success what if we gave Tom Hanks the Randy Quaid role instead of having to play the Randy Quaid role as Randy Quaid plays it he plays it like a young man who's got like his daddy's like billions and he decides to start a NASCAR team and just recruits Love all it. of these guys. And so like every time something's going wrong, he's like, guys, what's going wrong? You're all good. <laughs> well, I could almost see his volunteers character, Joey, sure, like, step yeah. in there and, and do that. That's a good call. Well, it's solved then. We've solved it now. Yeah, let's Perfect. go refilm it. So now, Greg, pretend that we are now somehow transported back to 1990. Where are you in this movie? If you win a walk-on role, you're the age you are now. Where are you going to Stanley cameo yourself? Are you going to be just someone in the crowd taking it in, you know, burning the Confederate flag? Are you going to be in the pit crew? Where are you in this it movie? It has to be a cameo. I can't just pick any role. Well, you could be, so let's say a below five lines. Like if you, you know, you don't get a SAG card or whatever the equivalent is, but you, you can't be a lead. It has to be sort of a smaller part or a cameo. So I can't, I can't be like the Elways because it would be fun to be a dick to Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, that's not, I mean, I feel like that's on the cusp, but that's almost, that's, okay, that's your actual answer. Is there a smaller part or a scene that you want to be a part of that you can sort of like, you know, work your way into? I would be a lineless crew member so I could just hang out on set all the time. Or I would want to be like one of the cut to race car drivers so I could get to be like put up in the gear. But also like you get like the you get your one close up with like your like rugged, dirty face while you're like, you know, awesome. rub racing with Cole Trickle. And Mike, what about you? Where do you where do you put yourself into this movie? Those were like choices one and two. But luckily I had a third one in the back pocket. And uh, I'm going to be in the scene when they're wheelchair racing through the hospital. And I am a patient that they bump over and run into and uh, cause more trauma. I was hoping you were going to say I wanted to be the female stripper so that I could kiss Tom Cruise. Oh, I was going to say I want to be another cop in that scene with her because we don't know if they're real cops or if they're like (laughs) part of the strip club or like the stripper company that they're hired. Like I don't know what their story is and I want to either be one of them or just another character there who's trying to make sense of what's going on, either upset that like as real cops we've sunk to this level or proud that we were able to sort of bust and get it, pull one over on this hotshot young racer. So I think that's a great scene to be a to be a part of. And I feel like another thing that we're not touching on here is that the screenplay is by Robert Town. Yes, I wrote that down. Yeah, yes. who did like Chinatown, but as much as everybody like analyzes like how Christopher McQuarrie is like responsible for the huge resurgence of Tom Cruise currently. And, like, at the turn of the Audis, like, 
He was like Spielberg was his dude. Town uh, made this movie with a story by Tom Cruise, but then he like wrote The Firm, he wrote the first Mission Impossible, and he wrote Mission Impossible 2 for him. Not only that, but he also wrote Chinatown, and I think also Bonnie and Clyde, so like he's both oh, yeah, yeah. historically like, significant, but you know, no, no, no I, don't, I totally agree. And like, all the Tom Cruise movies he has written, despite the fact he's got like one of the most insane, like, he wrote Heaven Can Wait. Two amazing sides of the same coin. Like, that's just, it's crazy. And I think this is the, is the score of this by, is this Hans Zimmer on the score, I yeah, think? Yeah, this is a young yeah. Hans Zimmer, and Tony Scott was like, I want to work with Hans Zimmer so bad, which is funny because uh, Hans Zimmer and the Scott brothers have worked together quite a bit. Well, it works well here, and I think there's like the, just like mm-hmm. the emotional rush you feel of that music coming in. It's just like, yeah. oh yeah, like this is exactly what I want to be hearing at this at this time of the scene. That's Hans Zimmer for you. Like, I know that a lot of people think he's kind of a parody of himself these days, but if you want some peak Zimmer, I feel like he was destroying every score in the 90s, and they were all so violently different. Because Hans Zimmer also would go on, I think he did True Romance too, right? Like, that's the, that's the first time I think I remember hearing yeah. a score, and I was like, oh, I love this. Like, this is... Which is a direct ripoff of Terrence Malick. And then I think they reuse it. Oh, no, 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 no. Hans Zimmer also did the Cool Runnings score. Really? If you've ever watched Cool Runnings and go, why am I crying at this Jamaican bobsled movie? <laughs> 100% attributed to how good Hans Zimmer is. Now, for a movie that is so about speed, about driving fast, about living fast, about being fast, does Tom Cruise ever run on foot in this, in this oh, movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He runs, Absolutely. He runs in the freeze frame at the end. Like the movie the, oh, very true. on a Tom Cruise run. Yeah, the very final shot. Uh, whenever I was marketing Cruise Control, I was trying to put together all of the runs from every movie to make it look like a long, continuous run of some sort. And I remember like even like a couple of little jogs would uh, would work their way in here. But no, he certainly runs in this film, just, just not in the way that you're accustomed to. But it's important. Last time you said no, and I think we agree with you. I think here, for obvious reasons, a resounding yes. We have Harper Effect on Twitter said you could replace Tom Cruise's character name in any movie <laughs> with Lightning McQueen, and it wouldn't change a thing. I feel like in this movie, he's a perfect Lightning McQueen for obvious reasons. Yeah, I don't know if that works in like a movie like Lions for Lambs, but uh, I mean, I'm 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 interested to see that film. But what? But here, it, oh, it yeah, has yeah, to work, this, right? Well, in this movie, yeah. But I mean, like, of course, Lightning McQueen. Yeah, not not every movie. I think that's an exaggeration. But we're, we're trying to. This movie's like Tom Cruise was like, you know what, Paul Newman? I really had a good time making the color of money with you and paul newman's like you want to hang out with me kid guess what i like racing cars and he's like that's the coolest (laughs) thing in the world paul newman can i hang out with you while you do that because i'm a super young guy and you're the coolest guy in the entire world paul newman's like sure and he goes i love car racing now paul but like paul newman was that guy then tom cruise kind of comes to that guy and then like lightning mcqueen is basically the amalgamation of those guys it's like steve mcqueen paul newman and tom cruise squeezed into one movie and then they decided to get it voiced by Owen Wilson for some inexplicable reason. <laughs> but the point is, yes, that works perfectly in this film. But also the dude's name is Cole Trickle. So, Which is a great name. I also do like that there is a little bit of an, I don't know if it's an homage to Color of Money, but I'm going to look at it as such that when he goes to see Michael Rooker at the end before, like when he sort of had, when Nicole Kidman finally does the physical on him and he passes out and knows he has the brain thing. Michael Rooker playing pool, I was like, he does not know Tom Cruise is the color of money. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, to be fair to that, you know, joke that somebody made on the internet, and I don't know if you guys could hear my intonation, but there was air quotes around it. Uh, the other characters in this movie are named Russ Wheeler and Rowdy Burns. Like, everybody has, like, the jokiest of names. Like, John C. Riley, Buck Brotherton. They're like call like, signs on their helmets. And- like, it's like whenever you're watching Tom Gun, you're like, all right, that guy's name is Merlin, and here comes Iceman. Like, <laughs> you could make fun of them if you take, like, a 10-mile-away uh, look at it, but, like, in the context of it, you're like, no, that's what that movie is. I mean, there's a very early Channing Tatum movie where he plays a Supercross racer in a movie called Supercross. His name, his name is Rowdy Sparks, so exactly. I am not above yeah. Yeah. great, great names like that. Uh, you guys are on Days of Thunder, so next week you're doing Far and Away? Yes, the, the next Nicole Kidman movie, yeah. Lightning McQueen. Uh, granted, it's an Irish name, and Tom Cruise has an Irish accent. I think it would take a whole lot out of that movie. He <laughs> named him Lightning McQueen. Uh, but I will say uh, it has one of my favorite Tom Cruise runs in it. Ooh, okay. Very good. That's important. We're going to get to the awards very shortly. Before we get there, Mike, what else about this movie? Is there anything else that you want to say that you want to bring up that we have not talked about? Any parts of Days of Thunder 
that you love and want to discuss before we uh, nominate this for some good, good stuff? I just want to reiterate just how much fun I had watching it, how cool I think it is. I think it looks great. You know, I'm not going to go watch NASCAR or anything, but I get it. You know, I told, and I've got, I got it before I saw Days of Thunder. Like, I, I understand and everything, but like, now I really get it. <laughs> now it's super exciting and stuff and everything. And yeah, that whole culture and stuff. It's just cool how well it was used to frame this story because it's not necessarily the most original story, but it worked because it was in like this setting that I was unfamiliar with, you know, and that's why I love movies. It's like I got to be the Tom Cruise California guy who steps foot in the South and becomes like the best NASCAR racer they've ever seen and see that through his eyes and everything. Yeah, I just had a great time watching it. Like I said, going to watch it a lot more, and uh, I recommend it. Awesome. And what about you, Greg? Anything else that we have not talked about with Days of Thunder? Why you love this movie? Scenes, moment, characters, lines, anything that you want to get off your chest? Because I got one or two things, but I want to go to you first. Yeah, I mean, like, there's just a million quotes in this movie, but mostly I'm just thinking about what you could possibly award this movie whenever it comes to discussing what the awards are, because I think this movie's got to go hands down as the greatest product placement in Tom Cruise's <laughs> movie of all time, right? Mellow yellow. I didn't I didn't watch Interview with a Vampire and go get up some type B positive blood, but after this <laughs> one, I was like, you know what I need? Maybe a mellow yellow hat. I was surprised there weren't some more, like, like Pepsi and Coke. I was wondering if sponsors were sort of like leery of being Mike, associated. What do you think this is? Volunteers? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like we've gotten it before and stuff. Like we had that freaking Coke commercial in the middle of Volunteers. I mean, granted that was Hanks, not Cruz, but you know, this. I, I was sitting here watching it, going like, "Where's the McDonald's? You know, where's this? Where's that?" But I guess it was just before mass marketing to you know the nth degree, or maybe they well, just. It, weren't it also sure. might have been a, a conflict where Mellow, like I'm not a NASCAR uh, fan or knowledgeable about this, but it could have been a situation where they were like. You know who hasn't sponsored a uh, NASCAR? Mellow Yellow. So we can do that. Ah, oh, that's interesting. But like a Coke or a Pepsi probably had a prominent sponsorship at the time. And so they're like, yeah, we can't put it in your movie. I got you. Yeah, I figured there was some some kind of reasoning. I mean, I could be wrong, but Still. I mean, if you guys want to talk about what if should have, could have, <laughs> no, no. Maybe, maybe that's an answer. It's still littered, littered logos, so <laughs> there's not really much room left to cover. It's like that scene in Ready Player One where the bad guy's like, here's what we want to do to the Oasis, and he like covers the whole screen with ads. I think the last thing that I want to mention, and I think it's something that I don't think we've talked about yet, but what I really kind of admire in a way about this movie is that for a movie about such a macho, manly character like this this racer, this NASCAR guy, this American boy, he's really vulnerable a couple times. Like, early on, when he confesses to Robert Duvall that he doesn't have the vocabulary, like, he doesn't know what he's doing in the car, like, he was just sort of this naturally gifted kid who was told to drive, and he drove really well, and he's got that scene where he just confesses to him, he's just like, I don't know what I'm doing, yeah, his dad I want to be over. better. Yeah, his, even his dad screwed him over, right? Wasn't that the whole yeah. reasoning that he lost his yeah. car and stuff? I was like, damn. Dad scammed him over, yeah. And then at the end of the movie, he seems genuinely scared to get back behind the wheel, because he doesn't want to get hurt, he doesn't want to get killed. And I feel like those are things that I think you normally kind of see in a hero's journey, like it's them, you know, overcoming their demons or whatever. But I feel like in a movie like this, where the character is supposed to be so kind of impervious to bullets and so macho and manly, that I feel like we get a look at like this kind of broken guy more closely than we do in a lot of other movies like this. Well, I think it's interesting Like you guys watched Top Gun recently. He loses Goose and all of his like machoisms go away in this movie. He gets in a car accident. Like all, like he stops being like this guy. And like, I think it was a thing at the time because nobody wants to watch a 90 minute movie where a dude just swings his dick around. And I think Tom Cruise was hyper aware of that, which is why he kind of leaned into that formula of it, where he was like, all right, if we're starting with me up on a pedestal, we need to knock me the fuck off it as hard as you can. So I can, climb back up, but everybody's one going to push me back on the top of it. Uh, and it's interesting because you'll, you'll watch far and away. Like I really, really like far and away. I think it's like Ron Howard's Titanic on land. If you guys want to keep uh, relating movies to other movies, it, it's kind of a similar thing where like, he's nothing from nowhere in that movie, but you'll see him taken off the pedestal. And it's interesting. I'm all for the kind of the humbling of a macho Tom Cruise and sort of the rebuilding of that ego. Like, I love that. I think that's a really, I think he sells it. I think the big part is that not only is the character written that way, but I think he does a good job of explaining that, of articulating it. I think he kind of stays in that formula, which is why he had kind of such a continued success. And, and, Despite the fact that the movie that I'm going to reference is a success, I think it's where he started to kind of lose his connection 
because people would revere him as that kind of pedestal person. He was doing a lot of stuff. And then I feel like right around whenever he does Mission Impossible 2 is where he like stalled the car, if we're going to keep car metaphors alive, uh, where he was just like, no, I'm just infallible and super fucking cool. It never really occurred to me that he doesn't have a movie in this early stage where he's like playing a cop, running around with a gun, being Mr. Invincible, sort of like trying to go toe-to-toe with the action stars of the day. I'll be, they, uh, granted, they were like Arnold and Stallone still and things and guys like that and stuff and Seagal and Van Damme and things. But like that's where he eventually gets to and he's great at it. So early on, like it seems like he's taking this formula and he's going to adapt it to things in Mission Impossible where the Ethan Hunt character will actually have like pathos and like things in his like it'll be a full character and he will get dragged down like over and over again and stuff so he never really becomes it's it's cool how he he takes that formula and he never really goes full Arnold with any of it or anything like that where Arnold is just like you said like swings his dick around for 90 minutes and just shoots a machine gun. (laughs) Stallone had like stop where my mom will shoot and like Oscar and some of these kind of like let's soften up my image in order to be that relatable guy. And like Schwarzenegger kind of did the same with like his kindergarten cop and juniors. But like, we don't have one of those for Tom Cruise. Like Tom Cruise never was a pregnant man in a movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised yes. Hanks wasn't. <laughs> it's more of a Hanks thing, but. <laughs> oh, I feel like he probably has something in there. I, I, have, I, I haven't looked as deep into the, the Hanks, uh, like dark recesses to see if there's some weird one. Because, man, I did a Denzel Washington marathon, and boy, how did this Denzel have some weird movies at the beginning of his career. Oh, I bet. I mean, the early days for anybody is weird. Aside from Nicolas Cage, <laughs> who just sort of came out of the gate running, and Cruz, too, like, there is weird stuff almost across the board for everyone. Like, it is a weird thing to go back. Like, what we're doing, I think, is weird. Both what we're doing podcast-wise and also you sort of trying to figure out early, late, mid-career stuff for marathons. The level we're going to is a strange, strange thing that leads to strange, strange results. But I will say, if you guys ever want to go and watch some, like, of the weirdest ill-advised stuff, I recommend the Denzel Washington early career. There's a movie called Carbon Copy, where he plays a child, a college-age guy, who finds out that he has got a white father, and uh, he has a movie with Bob Hoskins called Heart Condition, where he is a lawyer who dies and a racist cop played by Bob Hoskins gets his heart. (laughs) Denzel Washington is a lawyer who's helping a cop solve his own murder as a ghost. What the f***? (laughs) Is that a prequel to John Q? It's extremely racist. I will let you know right now that it is very racist, but the uh, the end action sequence is definitely something you're going to be like, this is very well done, though. (laughs) <laughs> That's like the Defiant Ones meets like Freaky Friday or some shit. I don't know what's happening or. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I'm sorry. I didn't want to. I didn't want to sidetrack the podcast and like literally <laughs> lean into the microphone and go. You know what, guys? I've seen some shit. <laughs> you know, I feel like Denzel was never on the table for us because that Earwolf or that pop uh, Wolf Pop podcast. Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time. Yeah, period. No, I've, I've been on. They that were one. doing it. We were just like, we can't. Like, we can't. That's already been done in a big way. Yeah. So we never really like looked into the early stuff. But man, oh man, I guess I guess there's some weird stuff back there oh yeah i got to go on that podcast and talk to them about uh heart condition and uh carbon copy and they're like we don't talk about those fucking movies it's like, <laughs> enough, respect, guys. all right so now awards time maybe golden oak leaves maybe the golden sunglasses maybe now the golden steering wheels who knows are we going to nominate this and i i, I don't know just because there's it's, there's so much already already good stuff is this up for running for best film oh yeah it's got to knock something off the list i think so it's better than so more much... than the fourth of july or rain man or risky business or the mm-hmm. color of money or Top Gun. I'd say it's better uh, than Top Gun, but that's just my vote, and I can't. I, I don't. I can't sidetrack. I, this I don't up. know. This is tough. I mean, we, we are going to leave it up for fans, right? We'll have a we'll have a late an all nighter one. <laughs> whittle it down we will uh, also nominate we'll add to the list for best filmmaker director which uh, Greg you inspired last time Tony Scott for Top Gun now slash Days of Thunder yeah yeah. I mean you, you can't get mad at what uh, Tony Scott was able to achieve with Tom Cruise uh, I'm going to nominate for best Cruise role and most badass role Cold Trick oh yeah Give Days it. of Thunder how did Tony Scott never directed a Pension Impossible movie now that I think about it. I don't know. And gone too soon. Best fight. I mean, do, do, you, do you count any of the car racing as fighting? 
or any well, of the Michael. We have some weird stuff here. Like we have Ron Kovic versus the system in Born the Fourth of July. <laughs> so I mean, we can do whatever we want in this category. Well, then I would nominate Michael Rooker and Tom Cruise for a hallway wheelchair fight. Okay, yes, hallway wheelchair sure. fight. Or you could also say uh, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise for kissing fight. She picks him up, guys. <laughs> She does handle him. Although you guys are going to be so pleased next week whenever there's actually fist fighting in the movies. Yeah, I actually expected uh, Rooker and Cruz to come to blows, or Cruz and Carrie Ells to come to blows, but nah. Best soundtrack slash score, yes or no? I'm, I'm, putting, I'm putting Hans Zimmer there. Hans Zimmer, I mean, all right. I, I mean, there's some incredible scores in the Tom Cruise uh, Papillon, but... Uh, I would nominate it to be up there, especially since you guys are still pretty early on. Although, how did you guys tackle that one for Legend? Did you guys put in the gold? We didn't nominate it because Mike did not like it. Well, no. Well, we watched the Tangerine Dream version, and uh, I don't know. And you did not like it. I mean, yeah. Well, when I heard that there was more of like a fantasy score, I was like, oh, I kind of wish we'd heard that. It took me out of it a little bit. You know, we got to save room for the Limp Biscuit Mission Impossible remix when we get there. So. Oh, hell yeah. For sure. So this is not what we had originally envisioned for this category, I don't think, but best car chase. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you got to get to dinner on time somehow. So racing against Carrie Elwes. But wait, but what about the race between him and Rooker where they're kind of friends now and they end up just like on the beach all of a sudden? Where are they racing toward? To the meeting, I think? I can't recall. But at some point, they're racing on the beach for no reason except that it, it's fun. I think that might be what Greg's talking about, that they're racing to dinner. That's where they're going to dinner. And uh, they like they get the rental car. They their fucking rental car. And I hope then, they got and, the insurance. And then they get there and they're like, Hey, you guys are late. They're like, yeah, sorry, we had car trouble. Yeah, it was a transmission, I think. Right, Cole? <laughs> yeah, right. Best dance scene. I don't think there's a dance scene in this movie, is there? That I can recall. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think there is. being a dance scene. Do we want to nominate a race, how do I want to say this, race car driver for best outfit wardrobe? Oh, those, like, suits they wear? Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's not, it's not going to win any awards here. I mean, no. Here. Better wardrobe is the scene when him and Nicole Kimmon are both wearing, like, gray black suits with white t-shirts because it's just like the super basic modern 90s look which isn't all that great either slips into a nice uh, wet champagne shirt <laughs> that's sunglasses does he wear sunglasses here he does, but... Uh, but not, no, not noteworthy. Not noteworthy. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's risky business here. Do we want to? So here's the real question. There's one of two that we could nominate here. I don't think we should nominate both. But okay. best line, either drop the hammer, I'm going to drop the hammer, or Rubbin's racing. What do you think it is? Because I think it's more of a cruise line. So I think it's I'm going to drop the hammer. Might I, be more I, of... Yeah, I like the, ha- I like the I'm going to drop. That's the one that we'd actually use. I'm dropping for... the hammer. <laughs> I'm dropping the hammer, Harry. I feel like I need to pull up quotes now just to make sure we're not missing any. I might be going crazy, Joey. But is Harry the name of Robert Duvall's character in Gone in 60 Seconds with Cage? I I almost felt like Harry retired and was like the guy at the end of Jack Reacher just running like a shooting range. (laughs) Robert Duvall, Otto. Oh, Otto, okay. Otto Hollowell. I think it's Harry. Oh, well. Best sex scene. I kind of want to do just in the scope of the the drafting lesson with Sweet and Low Packets. Because it's just, it's a... Mm-hmm. It's a sensual scene. It's almost as good as Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck in Armageddon, I agree. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Most athletic feats. Is there something in here that we want to nominate? Oh, I mean, dude, like, NASCAR racing. driving. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that just, shit is. Just in general. I yeah, mean, he's in those cute little shoes and punching the clutch. Accelerator stuck to the floor. Well, good news. Where Accelerator's you... fixed, but the transmission's... What is the... It's not fucked. I think it says Something screwed. Free... I think it just screwed. says it's screwed. There's one point... It's pretty, it's pretty early in this movie that they drop a heart. They, they drop the fuck. Like, they do that early. I was like, wait, is this rated R? Then they don't again. Like, it's just PG-13, I think. But they're, they, there's an aggressive use early. I was like, oh... Like, oh, there we go. Never mind. Do NASCAR drivers, do they just, like, piss in their suits? I mean, what is going on there? Like, those races are pretty fucking long. They piss in their suits. Damn. Best running scene, I'm going to just say final shot freeze frame. Hell yeah. That might might win. (laughs) It's so good. Every time people talk to me about Tom Cruise running, I'm like, everybody always forgets about that final scene. Where, like, Duval gets the lead, and then they freeze frame it. And, awesome. and I was like, oh, man, we're not going to get it. And then the last, like, shot of the movie <laughs> is him running. I was like, oh, oh, Again, again, keep a sharp eye next week. 
There, there's, you'll know the one whenever you see it. Best or worst love story? I feel it's kind of down the middle of the road. Like, I don't think it's spectacular. I think it's fine. I don't think it's great or terrible. I think it's just sort of unnoteworthy. It's, be- it's better than Kelly McGillis. I mean, he has brain problems, and he falls for a neurosurgeon. Well, we did not nominate uh, Kelly McGillis for best or worst. We nominated Maverick and Goose slash Iceman for best. So oh, there's love res- There's love represented there, but not with Kelly McGillis. She just sort of, again, down the middle... Should we nominate this for Best Ensemble Cast? Oh, pretty strong. If you, yeah. if you guys pull up this IMDb and look at this cast list at the end of it, you'll be like, oh my goodness. Best or worst non-Cruise role, male or female? Anybody in here that stands out across the career of Tom Cruise, is there something? Because like... I feel like Nicole Kidman, we're going to get nominated either maybe next episode, probably for Eyes Wide Shut. You know, I don't know if she does. she gets it here, but like, is there anybody in this movie, Robert Duvall, maybe? Best or worst... Uh, I mean, stands out. Duval is real good in this movie. I really like him in this, too. Like, <laughs> he's fun. He's not better than Paul Newman. Like, Rooker's good. I mean, fucking Randy Quaid is so good. It's crazy, but not going to nam- nominate Randy so maybe, Quaid. <laughs> so maybe we don't, and we just leave it at best ensemble. We represent, we, that could we, be. We reflect them collectively, but not individually. I like that. So just as a re- recap, 12 things, I think. Best film, best director, filmmaker, best cruise role, most badass role, best fight. Best soundtrack, best car chase, best line, best sex scene, most athletic feat, best running scene, and best ensemble cast. Whoo! Oh, baby. Who boy. You guys like this movie. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining us on Thanks this very special me, episode gentlemen. of Cruise Club. Thank you for coming back and talking about this great, great movie with us and helping us progress toward a future in which we aren't just watching bad Tom Hanks movies, but that maybe both Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks together will be good. We are progressing down that line. I know this has nothing to do with Tom Hanks, but I'm just saying you're helping us navigate down that path. I'm glad so that we get you. to jump around a little bit. I apologize if I get us off topic, but boy, how do you oh, no, love Tom Hanks and Tom totally Cruise? Fine. That is the whole point of podcasting in general. Why talk about the thing you're supposed to talk about? Talk about whatever you want. Whatever your listeners want. Is there anywhere that you want people to find you online or things that you do or cool things you have going on? Yeah, if you want to tell me that I'm wrong about something, talk to me about something, or if you ever care about what I'm doing, you can find me on Twitter at the McLennan. Well, there you go. For all things Cruise Club, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, run at cageclub.me. Find links to our Patreon page and our store, our Cage Club store at cageclub.me. And then come back next week on our Hanks for the Memories feed for Dragnet. And then as we were talking about earlier, far and away in two weeks here on Cruise Club. So I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Greg McLennan. We'll see you in two weeks for Far and Away right here on Cruise Club. <laughs>